Many news stories have conflict as a component. Some of those conflicts get hot. Wars of whatever size and duration are important to cover, with special attention to clarity, to fairness, and to correspondent safety. The Monitor Scott Peterson has reported with stories and images from many active theaters, from the Balkans to Baghdad, Afghanistan to Somalia, and more. He has, of course, been covering Ukraine. I'm Clay Collins, and this is Why We Wrote This. Scott joins us today from London to talk about covering conflict in ways that are a fit with the Monitor's clear, calm, and constructive approach. Welcome, my friend. Thank you. So about 23 years ago in the preface to Me Against My Brother, your book about Somalia, Sudan, and the Rwanda genocide of the mid-90s, you wrote, I don't consider myself to be a war junkie flitting from front line to front line. Now, I've known you a long time, and I know that your work indeed has much more range and deeper motivations than that. But when you do end up near the fighting, what job are you hoping to do for Monitor readers? I always go back to what is the object of the Christian Science Monitor, which is to injure no man, but to bless all mankind. There couldn't be a more noble aspiration for a journalist, and that's something that's really informed all of my reporting. I think if you start from that motivation, you know, you're giving people a reason to uh, share their voice with you. It also allows you to look at a conflict, not just as a case study of human misery and despair, but also one where people are finding ways to persevere, where they are being resilient. And this is really the real reason that I go into these places, because you find people at the extreme edges of experience and what they are producing in response is something that is unbelievable sometimes. I think, you know, as a journalist, you really need to be there to witness that. We spoke via WhatsApp early last March, right after you arrived in Odessa, Ukraine, after having crossed into the country on foot carrying, I think you said, 60 kilos of gear. You were reporting on civilian resilience and resistance, defiance, really, of the Russian incursions. And those human stories, and our foreign editor, Peter Ford, remarked on this in an earlier episode of this podcast, really are so central. Where do you begin to look for those, and how sensitive is that part of the work? I think in the Ukraine example, it's just everywhere you go, there are incredibly powerful human stories and stories about how people are resisting this you know, this um, this Russian invasion. Ultimately, we work with translators. We work with uh, what we call fixers. These are people who you share your story ideas with. You say, listen, I'm, I'm hoping to find, you know, an example of resistance in Odessa. Um, you know, to give one case, my translator knew of one man who was, a, who was in a um, heavy metal band who also happened to be a welder. Mm. And he had just decided that he was going to donate his time to weld some of these tank traps. You know, we're always putting out feelers and trying to find connections among different people. But ultimately, you know, your most important asset is going to be the translator or the fixer who's with you, who themselves are key to interpreting certain aspects of their own culture. So I applaud every single one that I've ever worked with. You're one of the monitor writers, obviously, cycling through Ukraine as we hit the one year mark. It's a conflict in which most people, certainly in the West, see pretty clear good and bad actors. How do you find the nuance in a story like that? And do you have any expectations going back in? Um, you know, I think Ukraine is one of those examples that is particularly black and white. I mean, I've been in, I've been in a lot of other conflicts, certainly in the Balkans and, you know, and in, in the Middle East, where there's an awful lot more 
gray in the spectrum. But certainly Ukrainian views, you know, are very clear in terms of what they're trying to achieve. The fact that Ukrainians have been able to resist what was an initial Russian invasion, which the fact that now they're receiving so much military help from Western allies, you know, it really has changed people's expectations in the picture of what uh, the Ukraine war looks like. But as a journalist trying to cover that, it is important that we look for the nuance, even on the Ukrainian side. And, um, you know, of course, there are issues of corruption that should be written about. And those have recently emerged as, as big talking points. And there are a lot of factors that are involved there that we should be reporting on, irrespective of the fact that this is a conflict in which you clearly have one country that's invaded another. I did want to pivot and ask you about a very different perspective than that of non-combatants. In 2004, you were embedded with U.S. Marines in Fallujah, Iraq, at a critical moment in that conflict, house-to-house fighting. How different is it reporting from inside that kind of band of brothers setting? And how hard is it to maintain some distance? It was as you described. I mean, it was literally window to window fighting. I mean, I still have shrapnel in my arm from an exploding RPG that was part of a battle that was fought between the Marines and some Al-Qaeda fighters, you know, who were literally on the street across from us. Um, You know, there was no access for Western journalists like me on the other side. So finding a balance is more of a fluid term, frankly, than an actual concrete way of operating. In this case, of course, I was dependent on the Marines for everything. Um, Actually, I was number three on one of their four-man teams that would like go into these houses. And the Marines themselves were actually kind of shocked that I wasn't armed. Mm. Um, And I told them, well, (laughs) I think you guys have got enough weapons for everybody here. And uh, my job, there's no way I could actually carry a gun while also photographing what you're doing and everything else. But of course, we as journalists, we never go anywhere ourselves armed. We sometimes work with armed guards, um, as I did recently in Somalia. Um, But in terms of working with the Marines and kind of keeping your distance, of course, when you get to know these people and they themselves are busy, you know, in quite excruciating circumstances in which they are fighting this conflict eyeball to eyeball, it is difficult. I wasn't presented myself with any circumstances in which the unit that I was with kind of misbehaved. I know there were other journalists in Fallujah who actually witnessed, you know, Marines killing someone that they had uh, detained inside a mosque. But my unit had a different experience, and they were also completely professional, and it was a remarkable story. You're a career journalist who's also a spouse and a parent, and you mentioned shrapnel just now in Fallujah. I'm also thinking of you being on the ground in Mogadishu back during the 1993 U.S. military action, the one that's memorably recounted in Black Hawk Down. In those situations... How do you balance a responsibility to do your work with all of the necessary risk management? This will probably be a surprise to you and to a lot of our listeners, but, you know, I really am actually quite a cautious person. I'm making certain decisions based on having a much broader context of what the threats are. And recently during my trip to Somalia, not only to Mogadishu, but also to Baidoa, which is kind of the epicenter of the current famine, Mm. the threat from al-Shabaab, this kind of al-Qaeda-linked group of militants, They have a taste for suicide car bombs, suicide truck bombs, for targeted assassinations and kidnapping. And so I had to travel inside an armored vehicle with other vehicles that were loaded with armed guards. And when visiting a place, for example, to visit a feeding center or a camp for the displaced, 
You can't be on the ground for any more than 30 or 35 minutes at a time in any single location because then that gives the people who do want to do you harm time to put together some kind of response. But I have to say that the Ukraine war has presented a new kind of threat experience. Um, in this case, we're dealing with just full-on artillery assaults and airstrikes and things that can really come from nowhere, from a very large distance and with no warning. And that is the kind of conflict we haven't had to deal with for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're careful. We're cautious. I mean, I'm not saying I'm a homebody, um, but I certainly do take great care and make sure that no one gets hurt. Scott, you work for a, a news organization whose brand is Credible Hope. I guess I'd like to know, where is the needle on your, you know, your personal hope meter after having seen so much human anger and human ego? And is it all just so much history repeating? Well, I do find reasons for hope. Um, and one of the stories that has really shown hope has been uh, a series that I've written about a family in Baghdad. This was a widow with eight children and no money. And um, the first time I met them, we were sitting on the floor because they had sold a couch to pay for school fees for uh, one of the daughters. And I would visit them at times when it was incredibly dangerous to be anywhere near the neighborhood that they were in. And every single time that I left their apartment after hearing their stories, hearing how they were coping, listening and laughing, you know, with their black humor about, you know, how they were just managing every single day, I was just always buoyed by the level of resilience that they demonstrated on a daily basis. That daughter, uh, later on, thanks to our stories, actually ended up going to the American University of Soleimani in northern Iraq. Uh, she just finished her master's degree in Ohio and is now back in Baghdad doing quite a good job with the work that she's going. And that is an example of where there is hope, truly, even in some of the darkest places. That's remarkable. Well, thank you, Scott, for your time today and for all of your important work. Thank you. Thank you for listening. For more, including our show notes with links to some of Scott's stories and to more audio features, go to csmonitor.com slash why we wrote this. This episode was hosted by me, Clay Collins. Co-producers were Jingnan Pung and Morgan Anderson. Our engineers were Tim Malone and Alyssa Britton. Original music by Noel Flatt. Copyright The Christian Science Monitor, 2023.